Good morning. It's a joy and an honor to be a part of Cornerstone Community Church right here in Singapore. I thank the Lord that um, your pastor and I got connected last April. I believe that relationship currency is the greatest currency in all the world. And properly steward becomes relationship capital. And then you can build great things together. When I'm giving a gift, I think about the kind of gift I'm going to give because it's representation of who I am. And I want to show the respect and love that is needed. You know, the Bible says that the Lord gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip us for the work of the ministry. He gave gifts. He gave specific leadership gifts. And more than 30 years ago, God gave you an amazing gift. When God called your pastor and his lovely wife to put a shovel of faith in the ground of time and turn it over with prayer and perseverance and stay faithful for more than three decades, God gave you a tremendous gift. And the Lord must love this church a lot because he gave you such an amazing gift. I want you to know you could never find a better pastor than the one that God has given you to be your spiritual leader right here. Somebody said amen. God has blessed us. And sometimes we take those that are close to us for granted. We need to respect and pray that God just protects the gift of leadership that he's given to Cornerstone Community Church. What a privilege we have. And I'm so thankful, Pastor Tuck, for the opportunity to minister today here. I just can't, it's hard to believe. You know, when I, um, when I began preaching, I was, uh, I was 18 years young. That was just uh, maybe four or five years ago. And um, I, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior July 15th, 1973, B.C. 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 stands for before computer and before cell phone. I'm so glad I came to Christ. I've been following him 49 years. The church likes to talk about leadership. Paul talked about followership. Follow me as I follow. And when I began the work that God had for us, all I did was say, Lord, just here I am. If you can use me, please use me. If we throw the first slide up, it's the Global Church Network. And when, I, when we launched the network, it wasn't a popular thing to network across denominational lines. It was not an easy thing. And I just learned a long time ago that when God calls a man or God calls a woman, no matter, regardless of that Christian stream, that their calling is just as important as my calling. And so why would I criticize them that God Almighty called them just like he called me? And that's what became known as the Global Church Network. Jump the next slide, if you would. Um, I'm so grateful for the growth of the network. Um, bumping on 2,700 different 
denominational streams, from every major stream of Christianity. And it's not about ego and logo. It's about we go. You want to know why the Great Commission hasn't been finished? It's because we focused on ego and logo. We got to get to we go. Somebody said amen. And there's over 700,000 churches in the network uh, today. Jump two more slides, if you want, very quickly. Two more slides. No, go past that. Thank you. I believe God calls the majority of men and women in the ministry when they're young. Most people get saved when they're young. Doesn't mean you can't get saved when you're older, Just, but it, statistically, it's proven. Time and time again, God does a lot of times his biggest work when we're young. And we are very focused on equipping at least one million more young ministers in the next handful of years throughout the body of Christ. God is doing an amazing thing. Jump to the next slide, if you would. Uh, when we launched the network, we launched the Global Church Divinity School. We launched the network 21 years ago. And that same week, we launched online training. Online training 21 years ago was unheard of. And when we launched online training, people said, that's never going to work. <laughs> no, it's not going to work at all. More people are trained online today than all the Bible schools and seminaries and universities combined that are on ground. And it's not that on ground is not important. Online and on ground are strategically important. And I'm grateful to tell you that the Global Church Divinity School now is being built out in 25 major languages. It gets us to 99% of the Christian leaders in the world. Jump to the next slide, if you would. And we're very much involved in what's called the Global Hubs of Christianity. There's over 30 hubs today. We're scaling to 800 hubs by 2030. And every hub does at least three things. Synergizes best relationships, systematizes the very best training, strategizes for unreached people groups. We're all focused on those who have yet to hear the gospel. This coming Thursday, we have a Great Commission prayer summit that will be online. And Pastor Tuck is speaking at that Great Commission uh, prayer summit. And, and if you want to connect with it, uh, you can just go to greatcommission.tv, greatcommission.tv, and you can be a part of the Great Commission prayer summit. That takes place every year around the world where we focus simply on praying that every man and woman will have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your pastor is involved in it this coming Thursday. So I encourage you uh, to be a part. And this is a roadmap of the hubs. Jump to the next slide, if you would. And we're very focused on FINISH. FINISH is an acronym. Find, intercede, network, invest, send, harvest. You want to know how we get to the FINISH? Find, intercede, network, invest, send, harvest. It is simple. It is memorable. It is transferable, and therefore, it is multipliable. Find, intercede, network, invest, send, harvest. And by the way, I just gave you four steps on communication. Simple, transferable, and memorable, and multipliable. And in a moment, I'm going to read from two passages of Scripture. Genesis chapter 50 
And then Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you a moment if you have a copy of God's word. Genesis 50. And then also Hebrews chapter 11. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word today? He, Genesis 50, beginning in verse number uh, 22. Uh, the reason I wanted to pause and for us to stand is, aren't you grateful that we have God's word in a language that we can read? Wouldn't it be a tragic thing if we didn't have a copy of God's word in our language that we could read? And sometimes we think that it was written in English in the beginning. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't written in Chinese either. And, but God gave us his word. Amen? Genesis 50, verse 22. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, and he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the son, sons of Machir, and the sons of Manasseh were born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to a land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at an age 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're just going to read one verse, uh, Hebrews 11, verse number 22 also, verse number 22. And it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, and he gave orders concerning his bones. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of this day. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that is here in this sacred gathering. I pray, Lord, that Everything I'm about to say will be ordered and directed by you. I pray, Lord, that you will deposit godly wisdom in every one of our hearts and our lives. Help us, Lord, to see what we can be a part of in the days and weeks and months ahead of you, Terry, and your coming. I pray that everything that is said will be said to honor you, and Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said... Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. For a little while this morning, I want to teach on faith for the finish. It's interesting that the book of Genesis begins with creation, but it ends with a coffin. It starts with the beginning and it ends with a burial. God said to Adam and Eve, he said, if you sin, you will but surely die. The phrase that is repeated more than any other phrase in the book of Genesis is, and he died, 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 and he died. It's interesting that in the early days, two streams, streams began to develop. One out of Abel and one out of Cain. The one out of Abel was the faith stream. Abel is recorded in the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's interesting that, that uh, Adam and Eve are not recorded there, but Abel is recorded there. 
Then there's another stream. It came out of Cain. When you look at Abel's lineage, it says, and he lived and he died, and he lived and he died, and he lived and he died. But when you read out of Cain's lineage, it simply says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. You and I both know that the just shall live by hope, by wishing. No, the just shall live by faith. So many in this world are just living and dying, but we are living by faith, and if the Lord tarries, we will yet but die. God wants us to have faith in order to finish. When did Joseph impress God? Was it in the early days? No, it was at the end of his life. It says, by faith, Joseph made mention of the exodus. He gave orders concerning his bones. As he was coming to the end of his journey on earth, God says, aha, that impresses me. Because Joseph at the end was making sure that everything was in step with what God had put in Joseph's heart so many years earlier. You know, it's interesting when you look at the book of Genesis that 20% of the entire book is devoted to Joseph. He gets more press than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob combined. So therefore, it seems it ought to be very important for us to pay attention to the life of Joseph. I want to talk about faith. Faith is the master key that opens up all kingdom doors. Every once in a while, a pastor will give me a master key of the church, and he will say, this key will open every door to this church. No matter where you need to go, it'll open every door. Faith is the master key that opens all kingdom doors. Faith is not a wish. It's not a hope. It's not just positive expression. It's not faith in faith. It is faith in God. And God wants to put something in our heart, and he wants us to help us to take that step of faith. And I hope that what God's been teaching me, he will deposit in each one, every one of our hearts today. First of all, we need to remember the unbreakable promises of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when God gives us a promise, you can take it to the bank, you can take it to bed, you can take it to your burial. God will not lie. It doesn't matter what's going on in this world. God's promises will be fulfilled. It does not matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who the pharaoh is. It doesn't matter if the economy is up or down. God's promises will be fulfilled in this world. God spoke to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And he said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And, and that, that nation one day will be relocated. And that nation will be oppressed in slavery. But after 400 years, I'm going to bring that nation out back to the promised land. 
And God says, now Abraham, that's the good news. The bad news is that you're not going to be here to see it. Uh, the promise I'm making to you is longer than your life. This promise I'm making to you will eventually be fulfilled. Well, Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac had children. And one day there would be Jacob. And by the time Jacob was getting older, they are now relocated. You know the story. They moved down to Egypt. When they went down, there were 70 of them that went down into, into Egypt. And there came a time, ladies and gentlemen, when Jacob would breathe his last breath. By this time, Joseph is second in command. He is ahead of all the economy and commerce of, uh, of all the wealth of Egypt. He has risen from the pit to the prison to the palace to, to, to great influence in that day and time. And when he heard his dad died, he stopped everything he was doing. He packed up his father's belongings. He went back to the land of promise, and he buried his dad in a place called Shechem, and which simply means prosperity. And then he comes back to fulfill his divine destiny. He knew why he was on the earth. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was to do. He knew what was coming. He knew there was going to be seven years of plenty, and there was going to be seven years of famine. He knew what God was up to. He understood what the goal was, and he understood what his role was. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of us have a role in the goal. We all have a part in God's heart. You are not a wandering generality. You are a definite specific. God knows everything about your life, and he knows how to take care of everything in your life to help you to fulfill what God has put in your heart. And we need to get in step with what God is doing. 4% of Christianity is in North America. 96% of Christianity is not in North America. I'm highlighting this for a reason. Less than 1% of Christianity in all the world is in Singapore. Less than 1%. If I mastered in my country everything I knew about Christianity... 4%, but I thought it was 100%. And, you, and I wanted to take my test, and I only got a 4% grade. I wouldn't be very excited about it. Because I'd say, well, I thought I knew. Oh, and that professor said, you just don't know you don't know. And you see, we need to understand, if you and I are great commission people, then we're not about the 1%, and we're not about the 4%. We're about the 100%. We are great commission people. So it's important, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't live in silos, that we just get in our own lane and tell everybody else to get out of the way. I want you to understand what God is here won't get us there. It's one of the great leadership principles in life. What God is here won't take us there. And we have to broaden our horizon and see what God is up to. 
God is building his church in the world. Christianity is growing faster today than it's ever grown in the history of the world. More than 140,000 a day are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. More than 1,300 churches a day are being planted in this world. I want you to know Christianity is not about to go out of business. God is building his church. He is building his kingdom. And I want you to know God is looking looking for people who are willing to say, I want to be a part of what you're doing, Lord, in the 21st century. Don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. What does it matter if your alarm clock goes off on time if you don't know where you're going? It's one thing to live by the clock. It's another thing to live by the compass. I'd rather be running a little late going the right direction than be on time going the wrong way. So all I do is end up at the wrong place on schedule. That's not a very successful life, by the way. To realize that the end of life's journey, a person's climbed the ladder that's leaning on the wrong wall. Joseph understood what his mission was. He understood why God put him there. God wants to make that clear in every one of our lives so that we're not wasting time and doing things that do not matter. You see, the promise that was given was first of all given to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. It wasn't first given to Joseph. But Joseph understood the promise and he identified with the promise. And the promise were not first given to you and to me. They've been passed on. We've been grafted in. But ladies and gentlemen, those promises that were first given are now part of our life and part of our life story and part of our faith story. And God has called us to live a life of faith in this 21st century. And if you believe it, say amen this morning. Oh, it's God's plan for each and every one of our lives. We need to remember the unshakable power or the unbreakable promises of God. Secondly, we need to realize the unshakable power of God. You know, um, empires come up and empires go down. Companies start and companies stop. Denominations begin, denominations fade away. But the kingdom of God continues to move every day. The kingdom of God is not in a recession. The kingdom of God has never been in a recession. The kingdom of God is not under depression. The kingdom of God is marching on. In the time of the pandemic, the kingdom of God didn't slow down. The kingdom of God sped up. We're living in rapid global expansion. God is building his church if your movement is not moving, it's not a movement. It could be a monument. You know, some people talk about their movement. The only problem is they haven't moved in decades. You say, how do you know? Because they still think the same way. You'll never move further than this right here. The greatest challenge that every one of us face is changing our mindset. And putting on a new paradigm in the way we think. The first generation generates. The second generation motivates. The third generation speculates. The fourth generation dissipates. It is the cycle of movements. What started out as something on fire eventually just wanes down. 
The only way to keep it going is fresh vision from on high. God wants to give fresh vision to this generation. God wants to put something in our hearts that is beyond our imagination. And he wants us to help us to see things that we've never seen so we can be a part of something that we've never been a part of that will touch the four corners of this earth for the glory of Almighty God. No doubt all of us have concerns. Joseph had concerns in his life. Joseph was 110 years old. And Joseph was about to die. His greatest concern, no doubt, was death. If you have anything worse than that, I'd like to know what it is. It must be really bad. I guess maybe you've heard the latest statistic on death. It's one out of one. That's pretty serious, by the way. Father, time will win if the Lord tarries long enough. We all have concerns. Some of you here have been anxious about a number of things. Trying to figure out how to take care of the family or how to take care of things going on at work or how do you put the pieces back together after the pandemic. And no doubt, all of us have different concerns. I need a miracle in my wife. My wife needs a divine healing touch right now in her life. We all have different challenges that come to our life. And, and when Joseph was about to die, he pulls his family members to him. And he doesn't say, guys, you better start worrying. It's going to get bad. He doesn't say, I want you to, I want you to know, you might as well enjoy it while it lasts. Because when I'm gone, it's going to get rough and tough down here. No, no, no. He says, I want you to remember that this is not your home. He said, I want you to understand that you're going to leave this place. That God, he says, God is going to carry you out of here. He says, he, he, he reminds them of their future. And when the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. And allow him to have a better perspective of what you believe about your life and what you believe about him and what you believe about eternity. If you're going to walk through some concerns, you need to pull the right people around you. You need to spend time, ladies and gentlemen, with faith-filled people. The most negative people on this planet are not my closest friends. Make a list of the, of the closest friends in your life because that's a picture where you're going to be five years from now. If you don't like that picture where you're going to be five years from now, then you need to get some new friends. If, if somebody that's in your inner circle loves to gossip, I recommend you get a new friend. And the next time he or she comes up to you, just point at your ears and say, what are these? And they'll say, well, they're ears. Oh, I thought you thought they were trash cans. You say, well, I may lose that friend. There's some friends you don't need. If you're going to live your life in the place where God wants you to be, listen to me, there's some people who won't go there. There's some people you're going to have to let go of in order to go where God wants you to go. Because you need to have the right people around you to help you to become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Sometime, a man, sometime ago, a man was on the operating table, and the surgeon looked into the eyes of the man, and he could say the man was filled with anxiety and worry and fear. 
And he said, I can tell you're very anxious. You're very worried uh, about this. He said, I really am. He said, why are you so worried? He said, I'm so worried because this is my very first surgery. And the surgeon said, I can understand that. This is my very first surgery also. <laughs> now, if you're going to have surgery, you want to make sure you have surgery with somebody who knows a lot more about it than you do. If you're going to live a life of faith, you need to spend time with people who know more about it than you do. If you're going to be a prayer warrior, you need to spend time with people who know how to touch the throne of God. If you're going to be a student of God's Word, you need to know, spend time with people who know the Word of God. We attract who we are, not what we want. You want to have faith faith-filled people in your life, you decide, I'm going to be a faith-filled woman. I'm going to be a faith-filled man. And you will attract faith-filled people in your life. I want you to know, my friend, put the right people around your life. We don't need to be absenteeism in the body of Christ. We need more of the body of Christ today than we've ever had. We need to get involved in God's house with God's people for the glory of Almighty God. And somebody said, Amen. Oh, the concern around us, but also the changes. There was a huge change coming for the people of God. When Joseph was there, they had favor. When Joseph was gone, they had labor. They went from favor to labor. I consistently pray, God, give me favor. Because when favor is high... Labor is low. When favor is low, labor is high. Before I walk into a lobby of a hotel, I'm praying, Lord, let your favor rest upon my life so when I come up to that counter, that man or woman will sense your favor upon my life. You say, James, why do you do that? Well, I don't want to be next to the ice maker. If you enjoy the ice maker and the elevator, have a bowl. I just don't want the elevator and I don't want the ice maker. I've had the elevator and I have the ice maker. I just don't enjoy them. So I pray, Lord, give me favor that I may have a nice room that I can sleep well. A couple weeks ago, before I made a phone call to Delta Airlines, I was praying, God, let your favor rest upon me. And whoever answers that phone, may it be the right person. And a lady answered from Singapore. Now, you need to understand, I've got a few air miles, okay? And I've never talked to anyone from Delta Airlines in Singapore. And she says, I said, where are you? She said, I'm in Singapore. I said, I'm in Singapore. And so I began to converse. And I said, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be, Lord willing, at Cornerstone Community Church. She says, I know about that church. She says, she said, that's a charismatic church. She said, it is. She said, you know, I used to be faithful a lot in church. And, and I said, but I, she said, I haven't been in a while. I said, listen, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, you need, you need to get grounded in that church. I said, this is not coincidence. This is providence. I said, and she said, there's chills coming across my spine. I said, that's because God's talking to you. What I'm telling you is that God wants to have favor in your life. He wants there to be favor in the little things and in the big things in life. Joseph understood that when he was gone, they were going to have labor. Big changes were coming. And ladies and gentlemen, we just went through one of the biggest changes in the history of the world, and it's called the pandemic. Things changed faster in a period of time than any previous generation experienced. But ladies and gentlemen, more changes are coming, and it's going to be very fast. 
but blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. We're not only a faithful people, but we are a flexible people. You can always tell the size of a person by how much it takes him or her to get upset. Some people get upset of small things. You know why? Because they're small people. Some people get upset when they miss the traffic light. Why? Because they're small people. But kingdom-minded people don't live that way. Faith-filled people don't live that way. Great Commission people don't live that way. We believe that God orders our steps and our stops. We believe that God plans our lives before the beginning of time. And God knows how to take care of your family and in my family. He knows how to order our lives for the glory of Almighty God. Oh, we need to remember the unbreakable promises of God. We need to rely on the unshakable power of God. But third and last, we need to rest in the unmistakable peace of God. The peace of God. Joseph dies and they bury him in a box in Egypt. And the clock of God begins to tick. One year goes by, five years goes by, 25, 50, 100 years go by. And now here comes Moses. And Moses is standing in front of Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. Pharaoh wants to negotiate. You don't negotiate with evil. You don't negotiate with the devil. Paul says in Ephesians, do not make room for the devil. Not a square meter. And so Moses says, by the way, we're all leaving. And the children are leaving. And the moms and dads are leaving. And the cattle are leaving. We're all leaving. In fact, he says, when we leave, there won't be one hoof left behind. We're all going. Pharaoh wasn't happy, but... He says, we're on our way out. Can you imagine two million people walking on their way out of Egypt? Can, can you imagine? Can't you get your mind around it? Two million people, toddlers, uh, little children. I don't know about your children. My children don't like to walk in a straight line when they were little. Hey, well, come back over here. <laughs> the children and the moms and dads, the seniors, they're on their way out. And they hadn't been going very long when Moses turns to someone and he says, who has Joe's bones? He says, hey guys, if, we can, if, if we've got Joe, we can go. If we don't have Joe, there's no go. He said, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 13, verses 17, 18, 19, he says, Moses turned and he gave a commandment, go get the bones of Joseph. They did not leave Joe in Egypt while they went to the promised land. We don't know who it was that went back to, to get the box that contained the bones of Joseph, but they brought him out. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us if they kept him in the back of the line or the front of the line. But I have a hard time believing that, that they kept Joseph in the back of the line as they went through the wilderness wanderings. 
I, I think they, they brought him to the front of the line. And as I, I believe as they were bringing him to the front of the line, there, there was a, an inscription written on, in Hebrew on the side of that box. It said, I told you so. And they brought him to the front of the line, and I want you to see now, Mo and Joe leading the nation out of Egypt. How long did they carry him? 40 years. They carried him the entire time. He was there at Mount Sinai. He was there when they had the golden calf. He was there. He was, he, he was there through all the wilderness wanderings and experiences. An entire generation died in the wilderness, but Joe just kept right on going. There was more faith in the bones of Joseph than there were in the feet of the Israelites. You see, how do you know? Because the other one else died and they were buried in the wilderness, but not Joe. Oh, no. Joe's not stopping in the wilderness. They're going to take him across the River Jordan. He's going by Jericho. He's going to be there when the sun stands still. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. When you get over to Joshua chapter 24, the Bible says the last chapter in that, uh, last verse, verses in that chapter, it says, and they buried Joseph in Shechem. Well, who else was buried in Shechem? Dad Jacob was buried in Shechem. And now he is laid to rest right next to Dad Jacob in Shechem. What God starts in your life, he will finish in your life. It doesn't matter, as I said once, I'll say it twice. It doesn't matter who the Pharaoh is. It doesn't matter what the world says. When God says you're going in, you're going in. If God says he's going to prosper you, he's going to prosper you for the glory of God. For 50 years they carried him. You know, when I went to church many, many years ago in Sunday school, I was taught that there were two million that went out and two went in, uh, you know, Caleb and Joshua. But you got to watch out for Joseph. He snuck in. He got in there too. But we do have to ask ourselves the question, why did Joseph make his brothers solemnly swear that when you leave, you must take me with you? Don't you think that's a strange request? I don't know of many dads or granddads that would say to their children, by the way, um, after I'm laid to rest and I'm buried, if you decide to, to move from this country, you got to take me with you. I don't know of many grandfathers in America who would say, by the way, if, you, if, if I'm buried in New York and you want to move to Florida, you got to pick me up and put me on the truck. I mean, isn't that a kind of a different request? Why did Joseph ask or make that kind of commitment to those guys? Because Joseph wanted to be a part of what God was doing, whether he was dead or alive. Can you say today, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's comfortable uncomfortable, whether it's in life or death. You want to know why God would trust Joseph so much? Because he was faithful with everything that came his way. I don't know where you are on the journey, but I do know this, that God has something divinely unique that only you can fulfill and move in the kingdom of God 
forward. Back in August of 2007, I sent an email to Auckland, New Zealand, to Sir Edmund Hillary. And uh, Edmund Hillary was the first gentleman to climb Mount Everest. And I sent a, an email asking for 15 minutes of his time. And I got a letter back, email back, said, are you really serious about coming to see Sir Edmund Hillary? I said, I really am. If you just give me 15 minutes, I'll get on a plane and fly all the way to Auckland, New Zealand. I couldn't tell you how many times I've done this. Fly to a specific place in the world just to break bread with one person and turn back around and go back home. And I said, ma'am, for 15 minutes, I'll be glad to do it. She wrote back and said, the Hillary's will be glad to have you in their home, August 31st, 2007. Now, I, I appreciate the rolling hills of Singapore. But the Himalaya Mountains are just a little taller than that. Not by much, but a little bit. Mount Everest is... 29,000 feet plus to the top. You know, he tried to climb the top in 1952, and he failed. He came back and held a press conference in Auckland, and the press laughed at him. And they said, Edmund, it's impossible. If I had a dollar for every time I heard people say, it's impossible. Possible, I would be a very wealthy guy. But the Bible says that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And if God can save you and me, he can save anybody. Oh, that was weak. If God can save you and me, God can save anybody. That's right. It's true. Where would we be if the Lord hadn't saved us? So the press is laughing at him and saying, you're never going to be able to do it. But listen to what he said. He said, Mount Everest stopped growing a long time ago. But Edmund Hillary hasn't stopped growing yet. And then he makes a statement. He said, a year from today, I will stand on the roof of the world and I will hoist high the flag. And I will stand where no one has ever stood before. A vision becomes a goal when you put a date to it. You see, a lot of people just like to talk blue sky. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to grow. Someday I'm going to mature. Someday I'm going to memorize scripture. Someday I'm going to walk in faith. It's always someday. It's just, it's not, a, it's not a goal because they don't put a date to it. He says, a year from today I will hoist high the flag and I will stand where no one else has ever stood before. And a year later to the exact day, May 29, 1953, Edmund Hillary stood on what he called the roof of the world where no one had ever stood before. I accepted that opportunity. I got on a plane. I flew all the way to Auckland, New Zealand. I arrived on that Friday morning at 5.30 in the morning, and I invited a pastor friend who's in Auckland to come with me 
and he and his lovely wife, they pastor an amazing church in Auckland. One of the greatest things you and I can ever do is cultivate friendships and share life moments with our friends. And I took my pastor friend over and I said, because the Hillary's need a good church home. I said, I'm just not here to hang out. I'm going fishing today. I'm going fishing today. I'm grateful to be able to tell you I had a wonderful prayer time in his home. But as I was sitting there, um, I was asking him some questions. And within 90 days, he would graduate for eternity. I have in my study at home the last three books he ever signed. Two are dedicated to my daughters and one are dedicated to me. And when my girls graduate from college, I will give their copies to them. But I was sitting in that study and I said, Edmund, Hillary, every day's got to matter. I'm in a new season of my life. I want to be real razor focused. I, I don't want to waste a week or a month. I, I, don't, I, I really want to be focused in this season of my life. And I, would you speak a word? Would you share some wisdom with me? And, and, and he sat there for about a moment. He was 88 years young. And he, then he looked at me and he said, if you only do, James, what others have already done, then you only feel what others have already felt. But if you would dare to do something that no one else has ever done, then you'll have a satisfaction that no one else has ever felt. And when you're choosing your life's project, if there's no fear involved, you'll become bored with it and you won't finish what you begin. But after you decided what it is you're going to do, start right now. Listen to what he said. If you only do what others have done, you only feel what others have felt. But if you would dare to do something that no one else has ever done, you'll have a satisfaction that no one else has ever had. Ladies and gentlemen, what is our Mount Everest? What is the Christian's Mount Everest? I submit to you, it is the Great Commission. It is the mountain that's never been claimed, climbed, or conquered. We know how tall it is. We know how wide it is. We know where the lost are. We know where the saved are. But I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, this Sunday morning, that this can be the generation that hosts high the cross of Jesus Christ on the roof of the world and declare Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is our greatest moment. This is our greatest time. We must not miss our moment. This is Cornerstone's greatest opportunity. God knew who would be in this sacred gathering right here today. And the Lord is looking for people in this service who are willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to be a part of what you're doing in my generation. Just make it clear to me and I will step in to what you have for me. Would you please stand with me in this sacred gathering as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed in this service today. As they play a, a chorus of worship today. I count it a privilege to preach and teach today where Pastor Tuck so faithfully preaches and teaches week after week after week after week after week. As our eyes are closed in this sacred gathering today. When I answered the 
God's will for my life so many years ago, I didn't know the day would come. I'd be privileged to stand right here and minister the word of God. It took me over 10 million miles to get here. If I'd have quit at 9 million, I wouldn't have seen, I wouldn't have met Pastor Tuckler's lovely wife. If I'd have quit at nine and a half, I'd have missed it. All I'm saying to you as your brother in Christ, God wants to give us faith to finish. There are brothers and sisters, do not miss what I'm about to say. There are brothers and sisters who waste so much time and so much energy on stuff that do not matter. And their life will come to a close, but their job will be undone. And just because a, a person's life comes to a close doesn't mean they finished their assignment. But that's not who you are. That's not who I am. That's not what God's called us to be. God has called us to have the faith to finish. Joseph, the word says, by faith, Joseph made mention of the Exodus. Only mentioned it. But he gave orders concerning his bones. He said, it's going to really matter how this all ends. It's really going to matter how my life comes to a close. And none of us in this room are guaranteed Monday. I've learned if you'll just take care of today and learn how to take care of every day, you'll learn to develop a pattern for every day. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. If you can say with integrity, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world today. I don't want to miss it. I don't want the parade to go by and me just watch it. I want to be involved in the parade of promise. I don't want to just read about the newspaper. I want to be able to say to my children, my children's children, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I heard. Not first, secondhand, thirdhand, but firsthand. God is looking for people who want to be in the midst of what God is doing today. And when I count to three, if you can say with integrity, Lord, I want to be a part of it. I, I, I want to find my definite specific when I count to three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and just keep it up in this sacred auditorium. And my, my hand will be the first one to go up like it was so many years ago when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, would you go? And I said, yes, I will. And when I count to three, if that's you saying, God, I want to be a part of what God has for me. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand and just keep it up. And we're going to ask God to do a divine work in our hearts today. One two, three, if that's you, just lift your hand, keep it up. There are no big shots here. Dear Heavenly Father, you see the brothers and the sisters in this sacred gathering. You know every aspect of every one of us in this room. You know the cares, you know the worries, you know the anxieties, you know the potholes of life, you know every aspect of every person in this room. Lord, you know the obstacles that we face and the challenges that are coming our way. Lord, I pray for my brother and my sister that you will do a divine work in this moment in their life. May they see something they've never seen. May you unfold it. May you show them a 
have to walk on. And may they get on that road and keep walking day in and day out, day in and day out. I pray, oh God, that you will let faith rise in my brother and my sister's heart. And may they be able to say to this mountain, be removed and may it be removed. Lord, may they not spend all their time describing the mountain. May, Lord, they simply speak to it. Lord, I pray that you will do this work in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, we pray that you would expound the borders and the blessings of this great church. And Lord, may more people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in the next few years, in the last 30 years. We pray, oh God, that you would do a sovereign divine work. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you for this. In the matchless, mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, will you take your neighbor by the hand, and we're going to pray for one another today. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for our brother. We pray for our sister. Lord, we're not an island to ourselves. Lord, we pray, oh God, that you administer to him and to her. Lord God, for those who need a divine touch, may you supernaturally divine till he touch their life right now. Lord, Lord, may they sense your divine healing touch in their body. Lord, I pray that you would minister to that husband and to that wife, to that son, to that daughter, to our brother and our sister and our fellow colleague in Christ. Oh God, we thank you for this. And God will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it all. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. I'm going to ask you to look at me just for a second, and I'll be done. There are two seasons in every one of our lives. Two seasons. Every one of us have two seasons. There's a season when time and energy work for us, and there's a season when time and energy work against us. If you don't step through in the time that God has given to you, there'll come a time when time and energy will work against you. Edmund Hillary taught me that. And he said, take on the biggest projects now while time and energy work for you. Because a day will come when time and energy will work against you. This is our greatest moment. God has called us to this day. He trusted us with a pandemic. He trusted us with a pandemic. He must think we're pretty big people. He trusted us with a, with a pandemic. God is going to use us in a phenomenal way for the glory of the Lord. Pastor Tuck, we love you, brother.